0: So now I will lead us in our scripture reading, which is John 15, verses 1 through 17. The words will be up on the screen, and uh, or if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a second to turn there. That's John 15, verses 1 through 17. And it says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit." he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered and thrown to the fire and burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and i and it will be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me so i have loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you that you that your joy may be full this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do not if you do what i command no longer do i call you servants for I'm Pastor
1: Evan. Thanks for being here this morning and worshiping with us, Uh, particularly if you are new or visiting. We're thankful that you're here, and um, we're just thankful, whether you have a church background or not, that you have decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. Uh, We are in a series called The Upper Room Discourse. The Upper Room Discourse are the final words, these farewell words from Jesus to his disciples before he is crucified on the cross. And so the question you may be asking is like, why are we doing this series? Like, what's the point of this series? Well, if you remember back in January, we talked about our word for the year was going to be devotion, right? So the goal here is that we become more devoted to Jesus. And so as Jesus is headed... To the cross, he wants his disciples, his followers to know specific things about the Father, about him, about the Holy Spirit, and about each other. So these famous last words of Jesus will shape the perspective of his followers for the rest of their lives. So you think about like the end, uh, sorry, if you haven't seen this movie, it's on you at this point. But the end of Save It, Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks says to Matt Damon, earn this, earn it. Right, and then you see Matt Damon as, as an older man, which is not Matt Damon, somebody else. But he's playing the same character. And he turns to his wife and says, like, tell me I was a good man. Right, tell me that the last words from, the, from Captain Miller were, earn this. Tell me that I earned it. All these men who died for me, tell me I earned it. And Jesus is giving these famous last words. And the disciples will be shaped in their rest of their lives by these words. And so what we need today is we look at John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. We'll be in John chapter 15. We're going to see that we must grow in dependence on Jesus so we can experience the privileges and fulfill the responsibilities of being his followers. We need to grow in dependence on Jesus so we can actually fulfill... His, the responsibilities, but also experiences, experience the privileges of following Jesus. So to grow in devotion to Jesus, we have to grow in deeper, prayerful, committed dependence on him. So I'm going to talk about how we need to depend on Jesus, and that our dependence on Jesus has privileges, and dependence on Jesus has responsibilities. So the need, the privileges, and the responsibility. Look at verse 15, f- sorry, verse 5 of chapter 15. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, You need to be dependent on me. We must grow in our dependence on Jesus. If you're here at the congregational meeting this past Thursday, we talked about our top five priorities till 2024. We cannot reach those goals. We cannot meet those goals without depending on Jesus. For apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. Jesus, when he says, I am the vine, this is the last of Jesus' seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And here what Jesus is doing, he's drawing an Old Testament theme, and he's applying it to himself. See, in the Old Testament, Israel was often referred to as the vine. And, as, and that's in Psalm chapter 80. It's in the book of Ezekiel and, other, and Isaiah. But here, Jesus takes the vine imagery, and he applies it to himself. He's saying everything that Israel was supposed to be, everything they were, were meant to be, everything that they were a part of to be a blessing, to be the light to the world, the salt of the earth, I am that. I'm taking on the vine imagery all myself. And not only am I a vine, I am the true vine. Jesus is saying that the Father sent me, as John chapter 1 talks about, to be Israel, be for Israel what they could not be for themselves. As such, he is the true vine and his branches will bear fruit. Unlike Israel, the vine, their branches did not bear fruit. Jesus is saying, my branches, my followers will bear fruit. The fruit of mission. The fruit of bringing people together to Jesus. If we are living out as we're supposed to be living out as followers of Jesus, we will bring people to him. We will bear fruit. See, a branch cannot produce fruit without the vine. A follower of Jesus cannot produce fruit without Jesus. And if we don't produce fruit, earlier in John 15, it says, God will cut us off. But if we want to produce fruit God will have to prune us. See, there's a difference between your TV and your smartphone. You don't plug in your TV, it won't work. You don't plug in your smartphone, and it will work for a little bit, but eventually it will die unless you plug it back in. See, too many of us are, live our spiritual lives like we are spiritual smartphones. We connect with Jesus only when we need to be charged up. We don't see ourselves as dependent on him. We don't see ourselves as a spiritual TV, let's say, where we have to be plugged in all the time or we won't work. Too many of us go to Jesus when we have a problem or we have a bad day and we go to him in prayer or we go to church when it fits around our schedule or only when we're serving that morning or we tithe from our leftovers rather than our first fruits. A TV is dependent on the cord being plugged into the wall like a branch is dependent on staying connected to the vine. We need to start treating Jesus like we can't live without him. Do you live like that? Do I live like that? Do I live like I can't live, I can't survive without Jesus? And frankly, I don't. I don't live like that. I think I can go to Jesus and pray to him, hey, Jesus, I had a bad day, or Jesus, I have this tough meeting, or hey, Jesus, I need to pay this bill, and I'm not sure how I'm going to pay this bill. Can you bail me out, Jesus? I only go to Jesus when I need to be charged up or refilled. I don't go to Jesus and just stay connected to him every second of the day. See, we need to pray constantly. We need to schedule our lives around going to church and to worship him with others weekly. We need to put 10% of our income aside and then live off the rest. That's what it looks like. Just basically, that's what it looks like to actually be dependent on Jesus, to see him as necessary for your survival. See, if you believe you can't live without Jesus, you'll make the changes you need to make and make them now. You won't wait. If your kid needed life-saving surgery, you wouldn't wait. You would do it now. You wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to have to skip Starbucks a couple times this week if I do it now. you say, no, I'm going to get that kid the surgery they need because they need it now. And if I believed that I couldn't live life without Jesus, I would make all the changes I need to make, and I would make them now. See, Jesus understands that you will either be pruned or you'll be cut off. You will either be pruned by the vine dresser, the father, or the father will cut you off from the vine. This isn't Jesus meek and mild. This is Jesus saying, here is the line. God will either cut you off or he'll prune you. And being pruned leads to fruitfulness, but being cut off leads to death. At my last house, before we moved to our new one, I had a rose bush. I didn't know much about rose bushes or how to take care of them, but I did know that if I didn't cut off the dead branches, the entire rose bush would not bloom. So I had to prune the branches and they cut off little pieces and trim it back and sometimes untwist branches so my rose bush would produce these beautiful pink roses. See, pruning does not feel good but it's better than being cut off. Listen to me. Pruning does not feel good, but Jesus knows it's better than being cut off. Sam Alberry says it this way. He says, Being pruned is not pleasant at the time. As with pruning a real tree, it may look harsh and wasteful and include cutting good things away from us that can be painful to lose. But if it draws us deeper into the life of Jesus, then it's worth it. What he's saying is sometimes when you're being pruned, all the time it's not going to feel good. And sometimes it means God has to cut away good things that you're going to miss in your life. But if it means you're going to be more dependent on Jesus, deeper in a relationship with Jesus, then it is worth it. And many of you talking to you have experienced pruning this past year. God has cut off good things from your lives. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost friends over masks or politics. Some have people have lost, Some of us have lost people that we loved in our home meeting because they moved away. Some of us lost things that we depended on and we counted on. But as Warren Wearsby says, your heavenly Father is never nearer to you than when he's pruning you. See, God promises that he will prune us. But here's the deal. Take comfort in this. If you're being pruned, it means the vine dresser is nearby. See, if you're being pruned and God's taking things out of your life to drive you into deeper relationship with Jesus, it means that the Father is right beside you. And too many of us live our Christian lives where we're trying to avoid pain, we're trying to avoid losing things, but God sometimes has to chip away and prune those things out of our lives because he knows it's better to prune us for fruitfulness than to cut us off for death. God knows better than us, and it hurts, and it doesn't feel good, but God says, when I do it, Jesus says, when I do it, it will be worth it. Sometimes I'm going to cut off things And prune things from your life that don't feel good and you're going to miss them. But it will be worth it. So dependence on Jesus has its privileges. And if we look at verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. One of the privileges of being dependent on Jesus is that we get to share in his life through prayer. I remember in college I had this job where I was working for a cleaning company and I was power washing someone's wooden deck for the first time. First time ever, I was doing it. And I did not know at all what I was doing. I got very little training and I could not be any worse at power washing a deck than I was on that, way, that day because I found out the hard way that you always power wash with the grain of the wood, not against it. So needless to say, my boss was not happy with me when he looked at our customer's deck and there were splinters everywhere. See, when we're connected to Jesus, when we pray, we pray with the grain rather than against it. See, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is assuming that you're abiding, as he says earlier, that you're abiding in him. So you're praying along with the grain of Jesus. It's not that if I want a Lambo, God will give me a Lambo. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're praying in, with the grain, if you're praying the way I'm praying, if you understand what I want for your life, my, your prayers will match what Jesus wants for you and wishes for you. And Jesus says, that is a privilege. The privilege we have is that when we pray with the grain, what we wish will be what Jesus wishes, and so it will be done for us. Because prayer is necessary for us to be fruitful in mission. If we're going to reach our goal as a church, by the end of November, to have 75 people attend every Sunday, we need to be fruitful, but we definitely need to pray. So I'm asking you to pray because every time you look at the book of Acts or the Gospel of Luke, every time Jesus prays or the apostles pray, right after that comes fruitfulness in mission. They get bold and they go out and proclaim the gospel. See, as a pastor, there's this temptation for me to imitate the greatest preachers of our time. Guys like Matt Chandler and Tony Evans or Tim Keller or John Tyson. Sometimes you'll hear me reference those guys, or sometimes a lot you'll hear me reference those guys. But a more worthwhile goal for me is not to become a better preacher, but to become a better prayer. And one way to be a better prayer is to look at the older saints in our lives who spent their lives on their knees and say, that's who I want to be like. As a pastor, it's tempting for me to say, I want to be like Matt Chandler. I want to be like Tim Keller. But the grandma in my church growing up who prayed day in and day out for hours, that's who I should be like. I watched my grandfather spend hours every day Praying. The man died. True story. On a prayer walk. He had a heart attack while he was on a prayer walk. I mean, if there's a way to go, man, that's the way to go. Like to be praying with Jesus here and then waking up with him in the next life. There was no disconnection. He just seamlessly rolled into glory. Glory. That's who I should be like. He could not preach for his life. But man, did he pray, and man, was he fruitful. Because when I went to his funeral, I saw men and women come and say, your grandfather prayed for me and told me about Jesus. And that's why I'm here. See, if I want to be like the older saints in my life, I got to start praying like the older saints in my life. I had to fall on my knees. I need to speak to my Heavenly Father like a child and come to Jesus in prayer all as if my survival requires it. And you can tell if a person is a praying Christian, can't you? They depend on Jesus all the time. They're a TV plugged into the wall all the time. They aren't always bragging about their accomplishments because they depend on Christ's accomplishments. They aren't unnecessarily anxious because they know well the one who's in control. They aren't seething with bitterness because Christ fills their hearts with joy daily. They don't get sucked into the political muck because they spend each day bowing before the king. The gospel spills out of them because the Holy Spirit is constantly pouring the gospel into them. And they aren't swayed by other people's opinion because it's only God's opinion that matters to them. See, if you wanted to share in Jesus' life and you took the mission of Jesus seriously, you would believe your life dependent on Jesus and you would pray more, plain and simple. If I actually believe this, I would pray more, plain and simple. But I don't pray because I don't believe it. I don't. And if I prayed more, my life would reflect that I was a prayer. It would. I would love to live a life where I didn't care about other people's opinions and only God's. Wouldn't you? I would love to be less anxious because I know I'm praying and sitting before the one who's in control of everything. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be great to not be sucked into the political muck because you know who the king is and you know him well? So we, one privilege is to share in Jesus' life through prayer, the other is to know Jesus' will through his word. So if you look at verse 15, and I'm going to be jumping around here for the rest of the sermon, but verse 15 No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you. When you attend a wedding or a catered party, the caterer and the servers don't sit down at the table with the bride and groom or the host of the party, right? If you've ever been to a party, that would just be weird, right? If all of a sudden the caterers put out the food and they go sit at that like, couple's table. I don't. I forget what that thing is called, but you know what I'm talking about, right? We're like, just the bride and groomer, the sweetheart table. Thank you. The sweetheart table. Wouldn't that be weird? And Jesus says that while we're his servants, we're also his friends. So he invites us to the table. See, so you might not sit at the sweetheart table, but you're sitting around the sweetheart table. You might not be the ones who are hosting the party, but you're sitting down with the host. Why? Because you're the friend of of the host. You're the friend of the bride and groom, or the friend of the mom of the bride and groom, or the dad of the bride and groom. But masters don't invite the servants to sit with them, and he doesn't tell them what's going on. But he does that for his friends. See, Jesus says that he, when we're at his table, and he invites us to his table, he tells us what the father is up to by illuminating God's word in the Bible to us through the Holy Spirit. See, have you ever wondered why the world doesn't understand why the Bible could be so backwards or bigoted? It's because they aren't friends with Jesus. They're not at the table and they don't know what the Father is up to. The privilege of knowing Jesus is to be at the table and for him to whisper to us and let us know what the Father is up to. And if we want to know what the Father is up to, we just have to look right here in his word. See, if the world knew Jesus, they would really know him, and they wouldn't claim that he's backwards or bigoted. But because they don't know him, they don't trust his word. And if that describes you today, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know about Jesus, I'm just checking this Jesus guy out, I'm not sure what I believe here, I invite you to search the Bible We have Bibles in the back on your way out on that little table. Take one. Start reading the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark and just see how Jesus loves you and what he desires for you. Get to know Jesus. See, when Jesus asks hard things from us and we don't know him, we claim he's backwards or he's unrealistic. But when Jesus asks hard things from us and we do know him, We understand that he wants what's best for us. And even if it's hard, we do it because we know he loves us. And unless we know Jesus to the point where we can know we can trust his word, we'll never take leaps of faith that we need to. We'll never grow in our spiritual walk. We'll never allow the vine dresser to prune things out of our life, even though it's hard. We're never going to do those things. And do the things he's asking of us if we don't know Jesus and trust his word. And we know the Father's will because Jesus knows the Father's will. And we're becoming like Jesus because we're attached to him as his branches. See, the vine feeds the branches and the branches produce fruit. But despite these privileges of sharing in Jesus' life and knowing his will, we just don't depend on Jesus. Like if you're really honest, you don't depend on Jesus like you survive, like your survival depends on it. I don't either. Because we believe dependence on Jesus won't actually make life worth it like he says it will. We just don't believe it. And I think it's important for us just to admit that we don't believe it. Because if we did, things in our lives would change. So, what we do is we go looking for other things to depend on to make life worth it, other things for our survival. But we don't realize that we become what we love. And when we love Jesus, we become like Jesus. But if we love money and you never get as much as you like, you'll become greedy. See, if you love politics, and you love something like that that's so divisive, don't you realize that you will become divisive and cynical and angry towards the other side? See, if you love being right and you post something on Facebook, because you think if I post this on Facebook, I'm going to change everybody's mind. And real quick, your Facebook post will not change the world. I want you to know that right now for me. If you take anything from this sermon... But if you post something because you're like, I'm going to change everybody's mind, and then tomorrow you wake up and no one's minds are changed, you become prideful because you think you're smarter than everybody else. If you love flexibility, you'll be someone that no one can count on. If you love getting away, you'll be someone who's never present. If you love sexual satisfaction, someone will eventually not want to have sex with you. And you'll never be fulfilled. Your appetite will always be unfulfilled until you get it again. So you become what you love. Or maybe better, you produce the fruit of the thing you're attached to. A poisonous vine will poison the branches and produce poisonous fruit. Why would we think Otherwise. And if we love things that aren't worth it, we'll end up living lives that aren't worth it and we'll become crushed and depressed and anxious because you only have one life to live. So if my life I'm living now isn't worth it, all there's left for me is anxiety and worry until I get it. And because the things you depended on can't be truly depended on to make life worth it. Money, politics, flexibility, vacations will never make life worth it. They can't be depended on. But Jesus can be. Jesus can be depended on. Look at verse 13. How do we know Jesus can be depended on? Look at what he says. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is so dependable. He's so worth it that he proved it with his life. In the great reversal of all time, the vine actually becomes a branch and is cut off for the sake of the branches so the branches can bear fruit. See, Jesus was cut off so you don't have to be. He laid down his life for us, his friends. And we get to share in his life and we get to know his will and the Father prunes us so we can produce fruit. But if you aren't a friend of Jesus, you're an enemy of Jesus and enemies get cut off. And the way to become a friend of Jesus is in response to him laying down his life is to lay down our lives before him by saying, take my life, Jesus. You're worth it. For apart from you, I can do nothing. And when you do that, you move from being Jesus' enemy because of sin to being his servant, and not only his servant, but his friend. And then we're filled with greater joy because we're dependent on Jesus. Because I give up the things, all the other things that I'm looking for to make life worth it, and I put it in the one person who is worth it. So I know that when I go to him in prayer, I can depend on him. And I'm filled with greater love because Jesus loves me like the Father loves him, he says. Did you catch that when Brett read it? Jesus says, I love you the way the Father loves me. Like, isn't that a privilege? Shouldn't that make us jump out of our seats and our hearts leap within us? And I, so I rest in the fact that I'm loved, no matter what anybody else thinks of me, no matter who else shows me love, I am loved, plain and simple, because Jesus died for me. The one who loves me died for me, and I'm filled with greater fruitfulness because I share in Jesus' life, and I know his will, and I go tell others about him. And so lastly, Jesus' dependence on Jesus has responsibilities. Eleven times Jesus says, abide. Eleven times. And if you know anything about Scripture study, if somebody says something in the Bible multiple times, it means pay attention to this. Jesus says, abide in me constantly. So your responsibility, my responsibility, is to abide in Jesus. Oswald Sanders used to say, each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. Did you hear that? Each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. If our survival depends on Jesus, if he makes life worth it, we will choose to get closer to him. We will choose to sit before his throne in prayer, we'll choose to let him speak to us through reading his word, and we'll choose to experience his love by being around others who love him too but we can't connect with Jesus when we feel like it. Otherwise, Jesus says, you'll be cut off. Abide. Remain. Is how some other translations use it. Remain in me. So we abide in Jesus, but we also need to obey Jesus. In verse 12, Jesus says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If there's one thing Christians are really good at, we're so good at it, we're good, we're better than anybody in the entire world. We are so good at not loving other Christians. If there's one thing we're good at as Christians is not loving each other like Christ loved us. In the past year, I'm sad to say made that so clear that we don't love each other. Christians have name-called, they've spread misinformation, have accused other Christians, even their own pastors, of being sheep or bowing down their knee to some type of agenda, following science instead of having faith or not following science enough. And to make matters worse And please just stop doing this. We put it on social media for the entire world to see how we don't love each other. And we name call and we call that pastor fearful and a sheep. And I know because I watched it happen to my friends. Friends, we need to check ourselves. Let's love each other the way Jesus loved us. Jesus doesn't name call. He doesn't spread misinformation. He doesn't point to you and say, you sheep. Well, he does in a positive way. But he says, come to me. I'm your shepherd. Follow me. He says, Evan, you're a child of mine. You're more than a conqueror, Evan. I love you, Evan. That's the way we should be talking to each other. And Jesus does tell us the truth about ourselves. So sometimes there's going to be disagreements, but it's always disagreements in love because Jesus knows what we need to know, that it's more important to save the person than win the argument. He knows it's more important to keep branches attached to him than to cut them off unnecessarily. We need to know that too. So we need to love each other, but we also need to love our world. Look at verse 16. In this verse, I could preach a long time on. But he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, what? that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus chose you. You didn't choose Jesus. He chose you and then he appointed you and he gave you a job to bear fruit in mission. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? That's why he chose you. That's what he appointed you to do. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? That's why he chose you. That's why he appointed you to do. That's what he appointed you to do. So let's bear fruit in mission. Let's go and tell people about Jesus. There's a whole world out there that's not connected to the vine, and they don't know. They're not just just cut off. They're not even connected at all. They're so disconnected from the vine. And how will they know unless we tell them? So together, let's grow in our dependence on Jesus so we can all experience the privileges of sharing in his life and knowing his will and that way we can fill the responsibilities of abiding in him and obeying him. Let's pray. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today and you're, convicted, is the best way I could say it, about what you heard and you realize you're not connected. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus here today and you realize you're more at risk of being cut off than pruned. I just want to give you a moment to repent, to give your life over to Jesus silently, just saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've screwed up. I live the life like you're not worth it and that you're not necessary for my survival. Forgive me. And for the rest of us, Father, who claim to be your followers, help us to do a deep heart and soul check and even ask ourselves, am I more in danger of being cut off or pruned? Father, it's a dangerous prayer even now to ask you to prune us for the fruitfulness of mission. But may we depend on Jesus so when we are pruned, we know that you're nearby. May we share in Jesus' life. May we know his will. We thank you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.